Hi friends, this is episode 50 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us again. Hey, things are getting so exciting at the Bible Lab. I want to express to you something that I'm really, really excited about. There are groups around the country and some of them even around the world who are saying, you know what, this is so fun. We have to do this right where we are. And I want to say a great big welcome to the groups that are starting up and starting their own Bible lab right in the town where they are. I want to support that. Our community wants to support that. And so if you would like to start your own Bible lab, you know you can have the free study guides. All you have to do is print them out right there on the website. You or whoever is the facilitator leading out can listen to our conversation, take their own notes, and then have your own conversation. You don't have to just listen to us. You can have your own conversation right there in your own community. And what we're doing to support this, you can find on our website, thebiblelab.com, you can find a new resources page that your group can get a hold of the interaction card packet so you can do it just like we do it in your own hometown. So make sure you check out that resource. But then I also want you to contact me through our website and let us know your desire to start a Bible lab right there where you live, because what we are going to do is we're going to have a page that lists the locations so that people will see where your Bible lab is and we can help market your Bible lab. And also it allows you to know if there's a Bible lab already in your area. So let us know about that. And we will do everything we can to support your study of the beautiful, infinite, loving character of God right there in your community. Now, this session that you are about to hear, it was so amazingly powerful. It's not a shock. Every single time we look at the character of God, it just blows us away. But today we're going to take a look at what did Jesus mean when he told the kingdom tale about the wheat and the weeds. And when you see God's greatest concern in this parable, I'm telling you, it's going to drop you to your knees like it did all of us. I can't wait for you to be moved by God's own words today. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Are you guys ready? Yes, here we go. Number one, if I didn't know the person next to me, and I met them on the street, I'd have a difficult time guessing they were a church-going Christian. Hmm. Hmm. This is, you're taking, you're taking your time. You're taking your time. I'm seeing, I'm seeing quite a split all over the place. I'm seeing, it looks like about 50% no. I'm seeing about 30% yes, and maybe... <laughs> Maybe 20% maybe, maybe. So let's see what that means. It means about half of you wouldn't have a difficult time knowing the church going Christian. Why? Because the person sitting next to you rode in the car with you to church today. I know. <laughs> but think about the person on the other side, okay? Think about them for once. Number two, I would rather clean my house than pull weeds in my yard. Ah, oh, people are waving their cards on this one. The majority of you, looks like about, wow, about 70% of you are saying yes. You would rather clean your house and pull weeds in the yard. And 
<laughs> it is a split between maybe and no. And is it maybe because it depends on what, what one of the two seasons here in Southern California? Or it's the cool season or the hot season? Yeah, that's what I thought. Number three, Christians look different than others. Christians look different than others. You've taken your time on this one too. But it looks like, hold them high, everybody, hold them high. Uh, it looks like the majority of you are saying no. I see about 75% no, and I'm seeing about 5% yes, and the rest maybe. We'll talk about that in a moment. Number four, it is difficult to see that God is in charge of the world today. Oh, you're, pretty, you're a lot quicker on this one. And it looks like the majority of you are saying yes. I'm seeing about 75% yes. I'm seeing about 20% no and 5% maybe. So the majority of you are saying it's difficult to see that God's in charge of the world today. We're going to talk about why here in a moment, but it's good to see that it's going to be a relevant topic today. And fifth, the last one, I don't understand why God allows so much suffering in the world around me. I'm getting a lot of hmms out here, which is good. And I'm seeing about 70% yes, and almost an even split with the no's and the maybes, so about 15 and 15% no's and maybes. So once again, the majority of us are saying, I don't understand why God allows so much suffering in the world around me. This is going to be so relevant to you today. I don't know if I should be glad that you answered the last five statements the way that you did, but I'm glad that you answered the way you did because whenever this happens, we've done this over two years now, whenever we have a majority feeling one way and God's word directly addresses that, that's when we have the most revolutionary change in this community, right? We're going to have a lot of revolutionary change today in the community because we don't have to go... Uh, to the scripture to say, what do you think that author meant? Because we're going to scripture that Jesus himself said. And so we're going directly to the source to say, what does God think about this? And so I'm really, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what God's going to do with this. And to get us there, um, get your question and comment cards ready, because we have to get ourselves uh, really knowledgeable of what do we mean by that? As we look at the scope of this, we have to ask, if God is all-powerful, why are things the way they are today? Right? If you have access, if you have full access to God's power now, why has it not triumphed more, both visibly and overtly? We have full access to God's power. Why? Has it not triumphed more? Got a question card right back here. And we'll start over there. Yes. You got it? Excellent. I recently began to wonder um, this same question and I noticed in Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples, there's an assumption built into that prayer because he prays as part of the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. If God's will was being done on earth, why would Jesus need to pray for it to be done on earth? That is a deep, deep question, Jay. I'm glad you asked it because many people are asking that question. Is it God's will that my husband just died? Is it God's will that my child died before I did? Is it God's will that my spouse would leave me? Is it God's will that I live in a country outside the U.S. that is persecuting Christians? Is it God's will? And that creates quite a rub when people are saying, look, if God is all-powerful, why does he allow? And then fill in the blank, right? This is a huge, huge issue, and we're going to tackle it today. Dr. Elder. Well, according to the parable, an enemy has done it. Yes. And you leave it to the harvest when God takes care of it. Hmm. We're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into that. You're always a man ahead of your time, but you're about 20 minutes ahead of your time <laughs> today, Harvey. Yes, over here. Yes, Randy. Well, I think you'd go back to if God is all-powerful, why didn't he intervene when Eve took that first bite? Yeah, well, it, just just stop it right there. Yeah, bring in give her some Bible studies and yeah. save her. And what, what what do we do? What do we do here at? Well, what do we do here at Loma Linda University uh, Medical Center? Yeah, someone comes in, they've eaten something they shouldn't. We pull out the stomach pump, we get it out of the stomach, out of the system, and then they're good to go. And yet, God allows it to go through the system. His will, because He could have stopped it, was to allow it to continue. It was a real challenge. Who's next? Back here. Yes, in the background. Um, a, better, a better question is, um, why, didn't he, why didn't God stop Lucifer from sinning? Because, uh, Lucifer, because we all know that Lucifer became, became Satan, the fallen one, because of his own pride. So yeah. why didn't God stop him right then and there? That's a great question. Let's follow that. Can God do anything? <laughs> I hear both. It's a, it's a perfect question, wasn't it, Greg? Because I get both responses, yes and no. Can God do anything? Most people say yes, Greg says no. I'm going to ask it a different way to make Greg happy. Should God do anything? Ah, see, now the crowd's with you, Greg. The crowd's with you. Because can and should are two different things. Paul puts it this way. All things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial right? God does things that are beneficial, but he does them at times that we do not see them as beneficial. We see them as critical, right? We see things that are critical and crucial, and we say, God, why don't you act? Why don't you act now? Is this within your will? And God says it's not beneficial. Back here. Joseph. Yes, uh, there is God's permissive will. His ultimate will. Yeah. And of course, uh, his, his original will. Hmm. Now, it's all God's will. Hmm. It's how we perceive his will. Mm-hmm. And um, the Bible tells us that in the end times, things are going to go haywire. It's going to be as disastrous as one can imagine. Um, do I 
put my trust in the word of God? Do, do I accept that he is in charge no matter what? He allows it. And, and his will dictates the ultimate. It, it's, it's my uh, appreciation of what God uh, chooses to do under the circumstances in a sinful world. Mm. That's deep. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, over there and then in the middle. I think I came across an answer to this several years ago. My dad was diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. several years ago, and I was having a hard time with it. And I talked to my cousin, and she's a pastor for a church. And she said, you're going to experience the miracle of cancer. And I sat dumbfounded on the other end of the phone and said, what? And she says, let me tell you something. The hardest thing I have to do is deal with a, somebody passing away that shouldn't have, and it's just a, it's something out of the total blue. Yeah. She goes, you're going to get to say goodbye to your dad on your terms and his terms. Mm. It totally changed my view mm. of cancer and what it does for the rest of my life. Mm. Wow, that's a, that's a great perspective. Thank you, Mike. And we're going to talk about perspective specifically as we look at Christ's perspective in the parable he's about to tell. Yes, ma'am. I was going to say, I think everyone else summarized what I was you know, about to say, but from my journey in life right now, what I'm looking, I'm looking for my purpose, I realize there are things that happen, even though we perceive them as bad, we have to open our eyes because God is really talking to us to show us yeah. or show ourself. Yeah. There's always a blessing in everything that happened. Yes. It's hard. Like I testified a couple months ago of my situation, it's hard. Yeah. But when I open my eyes, I can see it truly see that God is trying to save me yeah. and to make me who he wants to be. I, I totally agree. We all want to have the testimony, but we don't want to have the test. Exactly. <laughs> right? Great. All right. Who is next? Is it back here? Back here. Yes. You know, I like real layman terms. It would be is if God was replaying a DVD. I don't like to watch movies over and over again. I know there are people that do that, but it would be Groundhog Day. <laughs> it really would. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. God's going to smite this person. He's going to knock Lucifer out. Yeah. He's going to make an all brand new Eve. Yeah. And so what's the point? Yeah. And I, like Mike, I went through it on different terms with my mom, I had a nephew, I have a nephew, in case he's listening, <laughs> that had nothing to do with God, didn't want, and his, my youngest sister raised him that way, you know, the church has hurt me, don't worry about it, you don't have to worry about God, you don't have to listen to Uncle Thad, all of that, and he watched my mom go through the process of cancer, and just two, she died in 2002, out of the blue, he called me about a week and a half ago and said, I want you to pray for me. I've been thinking a lot about Ma, uh, Grandma's death, 
and the things that I witnessed going through it. So mm. I, I, did, I never believed that going through it, oh, what a blessed miracle I'm experiencing. I'm angry. I don't want to miss this person. I don't want to see them suffer. Mm -hmm. But I always hold on to the faith that the final outcome will be Groundhog Day, and I know how it ends, and that is what I hold on to. Mm. That's huge. David. Red mic, sorry. Go ahead. I wonder if it's possible that these things that happen actually are not God's will. Maybe there's a difference between God's will and him allowing it, because I can't imagine when he looks down and sees what's happening here, it's his will, but he allows it. And I think our, we're really privileged for our Adventist perspective on this, because I think we really have a, an understanding that a lot of uh, Christians don't. You get a lot of love at cards on that. And if I had my cards in my hand, I would raise a love at two, because you're absolutely correct. Every good gift is, is from God. And I just spoke yesterday uh, in one of my visits uh, to an individual who people had said that the trial she's going through, the loss of the loved one, uh, people are saying, this is God testing you to see if you'll remain faithful. And I said, what does that say about God? You belong to the Bible. Lab. What's that say? And she says, that's heresy. And I said, it is heresy because God already knows. He knows everything about you. And he knows how you will respond in any situation. So why would he have to throw a situation out for you to endure if he already knows what you'll do with it? That's God being manipulative, and God is not manipulative. That's God being unloving. It's, it's not loving. I, I, someone else said, well, God took your loved one because he wanted to be with him more, and he just couldn't stand being that far away. I said, okay, so what's that say about God? What's that say? God's extremely selfish. Because God says, look, I know it's going to rip you in two. I know it's going to rip your family apart, but I need to be with him, and I don't care how much it hurts you. I want him face-to-face. -face. What does that say about God? It's heresy, isn't it? Because remember, the control statement in the Bible lab is God is love, and anything that says God is anything less than love is heresy. Can I go into the text? Because we're coming, we're coming back to this. So those of you who have the microphones, hang on to the microphones because we're not going far. We're going to come back to it. But I want us to go through the filter of Scripture uh, b before we spend too much time away from it. Christ tells a parable. And unfortunately, in this parable, unlike many of the other ones, we have no context for this parable. In many of the parables, it's someone asking Jesus a question, and we know who they are. And so we can look at the background and say, why is Jesus telling this group of people this? Well, their belief was, and we have cultural context, right? In this parable, we don't. And in Matthew chapter 13, which is chock full of parables, this is one of the ones that has zero context. We just came off of a parable of the sower. And so Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and he stays in the agricultural theme, and he talks about a parable of the weeds. So we're in the deep weeds now. Jesus talked about this parable of weeds. And I want us to look at it together, and then let's unpack what we've just been talking about and see if we can make some sense out of why God, even though he is all-powerful, we are currently living in his will, but it seems like a lot of things are out of his will around us. And so let's take a look at scripture. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 13. We're going to start with verse 24 and go through verse 30. We're going to talk about it, and then we're going to come back because Jesus explains because his disciples, much like us, say, yeah, I have no idea what you just said. And so we're going to come back in verses 36 through 43 when Jesus himself 
tells us what each of these things mean. But if you will, open up your Bibles or your uh, smart devices to Matthew chapter 13, and if you are biblically impaired, look up at the screen, because we're going to start with verse 24, which says, here's another story Jesus told. In other words, no context. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's, work, uh, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where do they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer explained, exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So, looking at his parable, had you been there and heard this, you'd probably have a lot of questions. So, let's start out. What have you been taught that this parable is talking about, and what is Jesus wanting us to do with this, with this information? What's this talking about, and what's Jesus wanting to do with this information? Anybody with the mic want to touch on that? Great. Thank you. Uh, when I first heard about this parable, I was like kind of confused because it was just like, okay, there's weeds here, and he's just saying, let them grow with it. Yeah. Wouldn't something that grows with weeds just like not grow as well? But I think when you read it, it's showing that even with negativity, influenced growing yeah. right up with you it's still very possible to grow strong and to take those out once you're mature because if you did it too young or if you did it too early you're not gonna have the strength really to get through it it's kind of like you have to grow we have sin we have to grow with it and be still stronger while it's influencing us and mm. that's that will give us the spot to uh to grow out of it once we're actually ready to separate ourselves yeah. it's kind of like it's interesting because it's like, why do we have to stay with the weeds? Why do we like? Why can't we get rid of them sooner? But yeah. there's definitely a time and a place, you know. Yeah. And I think that's part of God's will is when will that moment come? And it's always waiting for you. Just because you're with the weeds doesn't mean you're gonna fail. But it's like always that opportunity. Ah, deep. I love it, and I see several love it cards going up. All a ton of love it cards going up. Because I think you hit it uh, on the head where we live today. Um, absolutely, absolutely. A microphone over here. Yes, right up here on the front corner. Thank you. All right. Only God knows the difference between the wheat and the tares. We judge differently uh, by the outward appearance. Hmm. And we'll be real surprised. When we get to heaven, we'll be thankful because we won't know who's going to be there. Hmm. Um, our loved ones or neighbors or anyone else, it's just up to God. Hmm. It's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Over here. Oh, I was going to answer your previous question. Um, 
you're asking, well, why does God uh, test us if he knows what the answer to the test is, if he knows who we are? But, yeah. you know, for me, it's like the test is for you because now you know who you are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because uh, hardship is a way of revealing to ourselves what we really are made of and who we really are deep down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to say, oh, if I was in this situation, I would do this. I've stopped saying that. I have the humility to say, I don't know what I'm going to do yeah. until I have that opportunity mm -hmm. to be tested. Yeah. And, you know, if there's one thing I learned from economics was... Everything has a price. Nothing, you know, there's always a trade-off. And I, I try to think of that when I think of heaven because I'm like, well, you lose something when everything's perfect. You lose those opportunities to really show what you're made of and who you really are. Hmm. That's, a, that's a really interesting perspective. And I'm glad you used the word test. Uh, many of us uh, have read the Bible growing up thinking that when it says God tests man's hearts, that it's using a, a word that would be translated as examine to do an examination, like the test that we've had to take in school. But those of you who have been part of this community for quite some time, you know that all but one of the times, so 19 times when uh, the Scripture says God tests man's heart, and this is both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it always uses the metallurgical term for refining gold, making it more precious. It's not seeing if it's gold, it's helping that gold become more pure and more valuable. Whenever it talks about the devil testing us, or we translate the word tempt, it's the word skandaleon in Greek, where we get the word scandal from, uh, we translate it typically as stumbling block, and that's the devil seeing if you'll fall. God never tries to see if you'll fall. Why? God knows everything. He doesn't need to see if you'll fall because He already knows if you'll fall. So He doesn't put those things in your, in your way because He doesn't want you discouraged, He wants you encouraged. And so it's only the devil who wishes you to be discouraged. And so those tests that come into your heart where you trip and you fall, those weren't from God. Because God wouldn't do that, would he? No. Uh, back here. Yes, Calvin. Um, so first off, um, the parable kind of unveils how committed God is to wheat. Mm. Um, because even though there's an urge, hey, why don't you pull up the tares? He's like, but we might lose some wheat. Yes. And we can't risk that. Yes. So clearly, it's still living with the tear doesn't jeopardize it. But yes. trying to pull it up, that could jeopardize it. Right. Um, the next issue being um, God just also kind of signaling to the universe, um, this is not the ideal. I need some patience. It's not till this discussion, for the first time I'm realizing, sin was inevitable. Yeah. It was inevitable. Um, so at some point, in an existence with free choice, there was going to be sin. Um, but this is sin's cure. God wanted the whole universe to be as clear as possible. This is what will happen so that it would never rise again. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry for calling you Calvin. I thought Calvin had the mic right here So when I was looking across. I know you're not Calvin. Um, I, I love what you said, but both of them. I'm, I'm going to touch on the first part, though, uh, for sake of time. You, you brilliantly showed what's God's greatest concern, the wheat or the weeds? He seems absolutely unconcerned about the weeds. His number one fear is that the wheat will be damaged. And so why does he allow the weeds to stay? Because he cares for the wheat. It's not what we typically would think of, that God allows everything around you because he's afraid if he removed it, he would remove you. And his greatest concern is you, not the weeds. 
Yes, he, he is aware of the weeds, but his concern is for you, the wheat. I love it. Over here. Okay, I guess I'm a little bit confused, and my question is, are we the wheat or are we the field? Oh, because perfect question. Yeah. Perfect question. Thank you, because you did something priceless for me. You know how hard it is to do a segue in this class? <laughs> we have to segue. Yeah. And so we have to know, what did Jesus mean by each of the elements of this parable? And the disciples said the exact same thing. Uh, I'm a bit confused. Whenever God says something or brings something to your heart, the best thing you can tell God in your prayer walk is, God, I'm confused. Because it's at that moment he wants to make sure he's clear. And so let's take a moment before we go to other comments, and because that was a priceless segue, and let's take a look at verses 36 to 43 where Jesus does just that. He explains. And so look in your Bibles or on the screen at Matthew 13, verses 36 to 43, which says in the New Living Translation, then, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. It's different from the previous parable, isn't it? Different from the parable of the sower. Because here the seeds represent the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. So, let's run through this really quick, and then let's talk about it. Disciples say, please explain. Jesus tries to help the disciples understand the imagery by saying, the Son of Man, which he refers to himself. If you read through Matthew, Matthew loves this phrase, the Son of Man. He uses it more than any of the other Gospels in trying to explain who Jesus saw himself as. Okay, The Son of Man, Jesus talked about himself, is the good farmer. And yes, there's a bad farmer. The bad farmer we're going to talk about at the end. The field, and this is where most confusion and alternate application occurs within people talking about this parable. What does Jesus say the field represents, and why is this significant and different from how you've heard this applied? So what does Jesus say the field represents? Just shout it out. The world. How do we typically use this parable? The church. You guys are so brilliant. Yes, because we look at this parable and say, okay, Jesus said there will be weeds that the devil plants among us in the church to make sure that poisonous beliefs, poisonous practices are here among the church. We have to weed out those people in the church. And other people say, no, 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 because if you look at what Jesus said about this parable, we're supposed to leave them. And then someone else says, so what are we supposed to do? We're just gonna, uh, supposed to allow that to happen in the church? We're supposed to allow those musical instruments and that kind of music? And I, We're supposed to allow those people in here? We're supposed to allow that behavior? We're supposed to allow that open sin to happen in the church? No. 
It doesn't fit the character of God for him to say that that is allowed to go on in the church because we read in Corinthians, it says, expel that guy. And so we have a real problem if we misapply what the field is. Is the field the church? No. When Jesus is speaking here, he's not speaking about church. He's speaking about the entire population of the planet. He's speaking globally, the world. The field's the world. Then, the good seed. This is where it's different. Different from the parable of the sower. How is this different from the parable of the sower? And do they complement each other? What's it say in the parable of the sower? The seed is the good news, the gospel. What were we in the parable of the sower? We're dirt. Okay, we got a promotion, guys. Whew! We're not dirt anymore. Now we're the seed. We're God's people, and when we're planted, uh, then we grow up and we become wheat. And the people who are not sown by God, those seed are not sown by God. They're sown by the enemy. Who's the enemy sower? He's an imitator of the good sower and a counterfeit in the devil. So what are the weeds? Zazania is the Greek word, zazania. Uh, we don't know for sure, but most people have a pretty good guess that Zazania actually represents a plant called Darnell. And Darnell is a plant that looks very, very much like wheat until it's time for harvest. And then the heads of the wheat-like uh, top of, of the Darnell, it turns black. And so it's easy to tell when it's harvest time what is wheat and what is not wheat. That's why uh, in Jesus' parable, it's not what system would we then use if we can't tell the difference. It's pretty easy at harvest time. To tell because they look very different when they're mature. Does a Christian look very different when they're mature than when they're growing? Absolutely. And that's why our statements before, we're trying to figure out how can you tell who's a churchgoer and who's not? Well, it kind of depends on what stage you're in. Because if you're ready for harvest, there's no way anybody in town, that poor cashier that's just trying to get your groceries through, cannot help but hear the good news of the gospel. Why? because you're recognizable as wheat, right? You can't stop it. It's good news. You tell it to everybody. So, to sow Darnell among wheat as an act of revenge was actually punishable by Roman law, which suggests that this parable depicts a real-life situation. It had happened several times before. A light infestation of Darnell could be tackled by careful weeding but mistakes could easily be made. You could accidentally pull up wheat with the Darnell. In the case of a heavy infestation, the stronger roots of the Darnell would be tangled with those of the wheat, making selective weeding impossible. Just like what we talked about earlier. Here's where it gets tough. What's the harvest? Into the world. Who's the harvester? Yeah, God gives this duty to the angels from God. So, there's the good news and the bad news. Is there a day when your spiritual yard will be weed-free? God brings the roundup and it's over. Yes. Is that the best news ever? Uh, you want the other announcements? Because I've got good news and I've got other announcements. The other announcements is, when does this happen? 
at the end of the world. Uh, those of you who were at game night a couple of weeks ago um, in our little worship talk just before we got all crazy with dominoes and, and all these uh, skip bow and everything, um, <laughs> we talked about this very thing because Paul echoes in 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 that, yes, there will be a time of relief. It says, God is just. He will pay back those who trouble you and bring anison. That's right, the Greek word anison. There's many of you who remember when those commercials were quite popular. Anison spells relief. Very good. I'm not alone in watching commercials as a kid. Good. Anison spells relief. Did you know in Greek it literally does spell relief? Because when you read... 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, and bring anison, we translate relief to those of you as well. And then it says, when will this happen? When the Lord comes in the clouds of glory. At the harvest. The word anison um, means relief, but it doesn't mean emotional relief, like you'd probably think, and it doesn't mean headache relief like you'd normally think. Anison is actually a military term. Anison is the verb that you would use when you as a soldier come home and you take your bow and you take your arrows, you set the quiver of arrows down and you take your bow and you push it down on the floor while you push on the top of it and release that bowstring, taking that bow from being a weapon of war to simply being a relaxed stick of wood. The act of releasing all of that tension off of the bowstring is the verb anison. All that pent-up stress, all the things that every single time in your life you wish you would respond different, but you're just too high-strung, right? You just can't help it. Someone says something to you, and boom, you're shooting an arrow back at them. Why? Because you haven't experienced anison yet. You're still too stressed out, too tense. God says that tension will go. That's the good news. The bad news is when it happens, when Christ comes in glory. It's an exact echo of where we've gone in this parable. Raul. Um, you mentioned emotion, the, the emotional consequence. Yes. And uh, in this parable, we tend to analyze it and rationalize it intellectually. But the difficult thing is the, emo the, the emotion. Mm -hmm. um, how do we respond emotional to that? And it was very difficult even for Jesus. Mm -hmm. He had 12, and one of them was a weed. And it was very difficult for Jesus to, let me use this language, get rid of it. And, and uh, he waited and waited and gave him, gave him opportunities. Mm -hmm. Now, and this is what I'm going to say is very direct. We have um, Pastor Roy Ice, who is a bearer of um, good news. Mm -hmm. Imagine if he turns a weed. Mm -hmm. It would be, many of us would rationalize it and um, make an intellectual decision. But it would be emotional, devastating for everybody. Yeah. Pulling weeds is difficult, even for Jesus, mm -hmm. and let alone for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I first need to apologize that, yeah, you're stuck with me. 
But secondly, also admit and be transparent with this community. When I was a young person in high school and beginning of college, I knew I would never be a pastor. Why? Because some of my greatest heroes who really convinced me to even look at being a spiritual person, not even look at being a pastor, but be spiritual in my being and to take prayer more seriously and do devotional life, um, they all had moral failings. Boom, 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 right in a row every year, the, the next guy. And it led me to uh, really see ministry differently and something that I didn't want to be a part of because I was so devastated by people who were my spiritual heroes. And so I think you're absolutely right with your statement. Back here. Oh, me. Sorry. Yes, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, this is the question back when you were talking about how Satan is the reasons why you experience like all how he like tricks you and everything. Mm -hmm. So my first question is why does God allow Satan to do that if he already knows that he's going to do that? Yep. And my second question is is how does God tell us that Satan is the one that's trying to trick us? I would love for the community to answer that because they'll answer it better. Um, but as I see it, the short version, and stick around because we deal with the long version every week because we put the puzzle pieces together. The short version is for some reason God has allowed quantum. And what is quantum? Quantum is choice. He created a universe in which we get to co-create. We get to decide where it goes from here. And because of that, he's given us the quantum choice to be able to say, God, thank you for what you've done, but in our best guess, our wisdom, we think this is the best way to do things. What is more loving? For God to say, do it my way and my way only, or I'll kill you. Or to say, you can do what you want, but over time you're going to see that love is the, best, is the best way. It's the best map. Love says, I'm willing to allow you to run away from me with the hope that you'll realize where you're running and turn around and run back. Love says, when you do run away and you do get caught in the bramble, I will leave the other 99 to come get you when you cry out to me. Love says, you can do whatever you want. In the end, my hope is that you choose me. That's love. And it is not loving to say, if you disagree with me, okay, but I'm going to have to kill you. Now, let me ask you, do you love me? <laughs> yeah, I, I love you with all my heart. <laughs> Please, no, I love you. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, we're here. I don't know if I misunderstand, misunderstood something, cool. but my question is more about if there, if the sower like planted seeds, right? And then weeds were mixed into the bunch. Yeah. Isn't there some kind of predetermination for our action? You know what I mean, like, is there a sense of free will if there, mm. we were always going to end up as wheat or we were always going to end up as tares? Ah, see, that's why we study all of scripture. Because if you just look at one part of Scripture, you can build theology, right? And so what we do here and what we really encourage people to do is say, when you're looking at an idea like that, like predetermination, predestination, what does all of Scripture say on that topic? And fortunately, Scripture is very, very clear that we were all predestined to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. God did predestine all of us to be heroes, to be revolutionaries 
to do work that nobody else was sent here to do because God started with a purpose, wrapped your flesh around it, and gave you to your mama. And you were here predestined to do good work. But God says, I love you, so I'm going to let you choose if you want to do my will or your will. And in this, the defining factor between who is a weed and who is wheat is those who say, I want to do God's will, and those who say, you know what, I'd rather do something else. And the devil uses that opportunity to say, I can, I can use you. I can manipulate you because as long as you're saying, I'm not sure if God's will is the best will for my life, the devil has an opportunity to say, well, let me totally take you away from God's will. And he changes you from wheat to weeds. It is in that opportunity. When you look at the entire test, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what is that test? It's a test. Will you trust God 100% with your life, or do you doubt whether he has your best interest in mind? When you look at the three temptations in Matthew chapter 4 or Luke for, uh, chapter 4, every single one of those, it's asking the question, the devil is asking Jesus, do you really trust God's plan? This seems kind of crazy. There is a better way, and he gives him three better ways, according to Satan, to really come as a Messiah. We'll get to that later on. But ultimately, all of Scripture, when it deals with what has God predestined you to, He hasn't sealed your fate to say, you're coming to heaven no matter whether you like it or not, and those people are going to hell whether they like it or not. I determined before you were born, and so it stinks to be you, but this is where you're going. The Scripture doesn't support that. What Scripture does support is we were all predestined to be wheat, but we can choose to be weeds. Yeah. All right. Who is next? Back here. We've skirted around saying Judas, and we always have 2020. Look at Judas. You know, Jesus knew, but Jesus loved Judas and saw him as wheat. And yeah. if it was up to us, the way that God should act, David would have been destroyed mm -hmm. as a weed mm -hmm. and never become the wheat. Moses and his failings would have been destroyed yeah. as a weed. Yeah. And that is the love that God has for each of us. Mm -hmm. He sees us in all of our tripping and falling mm -hmm. as wheat and not a weed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you brought up Judas. Uh, one, one of the other individuals that committed suicide was Samson. And for some reason, Samson is in the Hall of Heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, slated as someone who is saved. Um, I just opened up a can of worms for lunch today. <laughs> Donna. Um, I'm responding to about three comments ago. Um, when I think of why does God allow these things to happen in my personal life and the tragedy I experienced, yeah. that was a question I had to put aside. Yeah. Because I'm not going to have the answer here. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because... Um, I have a God that loves me, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful that Job went through what he did because I can look at his life and say to myself, Job made it, I can make it. Uh, absolutely. And it's, the, it's the hardest thing to be the first Job. Yes. yes. Because who do you look to? Right. right. Now, I don't know if you're comfortable or not. If you're comfortable, several of us know what you're talking about with tragedy, but the rest don't. Are you comfortable with briefly sharing 
uh, listing the tragedies you're talking about? Because I think these, Okay. I, I think it's pertinent. Okay. Um, when my son was about two, uh, just about to turn two, he was kidnapped and killed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was uh, almost three months before we found his remains. In the meantime, over my lifetime, I was to experience two other murders in my family. Yeah. And um, you could start asking why, mm -hmm. but actually, after experiencing my son's loss, mm -hmm. I didn't even go there to mm -hmm. ask why because it would just drive you nuts. Yes, I have a God that loves me. Why do these bad things happen? Mm. Well, life goes on and sin is in the world. Yeah. And so you just have to let go of that and know that in the end, you're gonna, you're, all your tears are going to be wiped away and you're going to be in a place where I will see my son again. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to that. That's what I choose to focus on. Absolutely. Thank you. And I, I, I knew you were courageous, and that's why I asked if you'd be willing to share. In closing, we have to ask this question. If God is all-powerful, why does he allow pain and suffering and the bad things to happen in the world around us? And it appears that he doesn't care. Jesus speaks to it directly in this parable. He says, no, you don't understand. My greatest concern is for my crop because I have a harvest, and all I care about is my harvest. And I will not do a single thing to allow you to be choked out, to allow you to be pulled out prematurely, and allow you to wither and not be part of my great harvest. God's greatest concern is for the wheat. The weeds around you, He is aware of. But take the weeds around you as God's greatest compliment that he knows you can take them. The fact that there are weeds growing around you is God's compliment to you saying, you are really strong wheat. And I know I can trust you in the plot of land that you are. That's why the wheat is still there. So don't lose heart. Don't focus on the weeds. God's got his eyes on it, and he's making sure that they don't choke you out. And he's making sure that no matter what's going on in your life, whatever happens, the end is secure. You are going home with him. And there will be a dividing time. Don't worry about it now. Because God's greatest desire is to be with you. Wow, doesn't that just put the biggest smile on your face? I know it does for me. Just to know we serve a God who absolutely is doing everything possible to protect us so that we can be with him for all of eternity. That's not the God I grew up with, and possibly it's not the God you heard about growing up either. It's so exciting to look at Scripture to see what God really says about his character. Now, I don't want you to miss out on episode 51 because, once again, it's it goes even farther than what this parable went in talking about God's great love for you. We're going to take a look at a parable known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And you're going to see exactly how unfair God is and why you have a lot to sing and shout about because of how unfair he is. Can't wait to see you again. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats 
in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.